Hello and welcome to the In The Can podcast. My name is Devin and I'm here with James, Jenny, and Tom. And uh, we're upstairs again. Uh, We moved the microphone around. We actually have a table. Uh, And that's about it. Take care not to slam into it, guys. (laughs) It's warm up here. It's nice. Yeah. It is very nice. 80 degrees out today. It's It's nice. It was a beautiful day out today, actually. It's been a beautiful week. I don't know. I spent most of my day indoors, so. Me too. <laughs> right. Yeah. So how's everybody doing this week? Uh, honestly, I've just been tired, but t- took a couple days myself where I didn't really do anything except play a couple games. Always and, good. Yeah. I wish that was the case. I don't <laughs> know what that's like. You no, know, you do. It's just been a while, Tom. Yeah. I've forgotten what that's like. <laughs> Yourself, Devin? I've uh, been good. Been shotgunning a bunch of TV series. Other than that, um, more, more Westworld? I uh, caught up on Westworld mm. and shotgun all of Chernobyl. I've been hearing so to. much about that. It's good. Yeah, I it's, need to shotgun uh, that. It's depressing, but it's good. It's Chernobyl. Why is that not surprising? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, the Russians are stubborn. The one that I've gotten to watch was Mr. Iglesias on Netflix. Mm. I really enjoyed that. It's That's pretty funny because you know, I really love Fluffy and he gets to do his thing while representing the fact that he's a teacher at the high school he went to school at Woodrow Wilson High. That's cool. While talking about his rivalry with Paul uh, Polly, which is the school that Snoop Dogg went to and like every other famous person from California ever went to, oh. apparently. Wow. Yeah. And it's just a really good show. It has uh, the actor who played Oscar in The Office in there. I can never remember the actor's name. I don't watch The Office, so I unfortunately can't help you there. Yeah, Hispanic oh, guy? Yeah. I think his name might actually just be Oscar. <laughs> a lot of the secondary characters in The American Office were just their names. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. He yeah. He's in there. He plays the vice principal, I believe. Uh, the Overall, the movies or the TV show is really good. Only 10 episodes, about a half hour each. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So uh, I missed last week. I missed you guys. I'm so sorry. We missed you too. Um, we threw something together. Yeah. We, we had to do martial arts, man. Yeah. So I heard about that. Everyone so was kung fu fighting. I got I, to pretend uh, that I was a power ranger. Oh wow. <laughs> so uh, I had to unfortunately work. So one Sunday I worked this month, and then the next day I had to get up early because we were all going to the zoo. I said, hey, I'm going to get some sleep. And um, I went to the zoo, had a really great time. Um, I was really sad the tiger exhibit was not open, but they were working on the construction of the new one. So, Sylvie. But it was a really great time. And then uh, I worked and, you know, watched some movies, watched a little TV, watched a lot of YouTube like I usually do. And uh, I'm back. Yay. Well, what did you watch? What did I watch? Let's see. Well, I watched the one that you recommended to me. That was technically two weeks ago now, but we'll, we'll just pretend. Um, <laughs> so I watched Blast in the Past. We'll get into what I thought of that uh, a little bit later. Um, I've been watching more uh, Handmaid's Tale because it you know started coming out again. It's so good. I'm very into it. Um, and then I've just been watching you know, my usual YouTubers I follow. That's, that's all I got. I didn't go see any of the new stuff yet. I'm kind of in the same boat. Work decided to kick me while I'm down, and I'm just burnt out, so I have not really watched anything aside from, like you, mm. some YouTubers that I happen to enjoy. Devin, you're, you're probably... Or should we... You know what? We're going to finish with you, because you usually have seen 
a lot of crap. Uh, this week, mostly just caught up on TV shows. Caught up, caught up on BattleBots for the past couple weeks because I like <laughs> BattleBots. Gonna watch two robots fight together. What fun show? <laughs> the AI is coming to kill us all. Uh, two robots enter, one robot leaves. Yeah. Well, sometimes. Uh, <laughs> watch Savage Builds. The, the Iron Man episode that was pretty cool nice and I watched what was the uh, the last four seasons of Whose Line so fantastic show yeah Ooh. the big movies that came out this week were Child's Play which I don't think anyone got around to seeing nope nope no, sorry you know, Mark I won't lie I forgot that he came out the, the only thing about Child's Play I've been enjoying is their advertisement campaign because it came out the same weekend that Toy Story 4 came out. So if you look at all of their posters, it's got like a little image of Chucky or Chucky's arm or a knife or something along with, there's one with a smash piggy bank. There's one with like Woody's leg, but you never actually show the full thing because you know copyright, but it has been hilarious and I love it. Someone had fun with that. And you know what? Yes. More power to them. Yeah. Yeah. But that does lead into the only big movie to come out this week because I don't think that uh, Child's Play is going to make much money this weekend. No, it's it's a horror movie, and it's a, a horror movie in horror the movie. middle of summer. Yeah, it's also a remake, right. a movie that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Toy Story Four came out. Uh, I did get a chance to see it. Same here. I did not. I did not either, but I heard very good things from my patrons at the bar. I've been hearing a lot of good things about it. Yeah, I genuinely loved it. I absolutely adored it. I thought it was great. It's one of those that I liked it probably better than one and two, not quite as much as three. So is three your favorite out of all of yeah. them? Okay. It definitely has some of those heartstring pulls, though, late in the movie, though. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I'm not really sure where I would put it in the hierarchy. I'd have to watch it again. I think it's I second, think. second or third favorite. I, I think it's definitely probably first or second, to be honest. I will say for anything else, I... I can at least give props to the fact that Pixar routinely like outdid themselves with the Toy Story movies. Yeah, somehow they made a pretty completely unneeded sequel, one of the best in the series. Yeah, I when I first heard about you know two coming out, I was like, all right, cool. You know, I was younger, I was into the Toy Story movies, and three was coming out. I was like, is this? Necessary, and they turned out to be very good. And then four, I was like, "All right, guys, guys, you you're gonna you gotta keep it while it's good. Like, don't screw this up." But they didn't. It's still going well, and that makes me wonder: Is there gonna be a fifth one at some point? They basically did what pirates tried to do. <laughs> There's a way they can make a fifth. It it ends in a way that they can make a fifth, but it'll be a lot different yes. than the rest of the series. Interesting. Okay, we won't so. go into the last hour or so of the movie, but uh, there is a lot of changes for the series in this episode. I have noticed that just being on you know social media and doing side by side comparisons, the um, original first one came out in ninety five. Ninety five. So the animation quality has just steadily gotten better and better and better. Oh, yeah. You, yeah, you cannot compare the two of them side by side. It's disgusting how much of a chance there is. I'd honestly say you could probably pop uh, prop up the models from Kingdom Hearts 3 that they used against definitely two, but I'd mm. say even Toy Story 3 and possibly still they would come out, the, the game would come out the better. Mm-hmm. Just because, just because how much computer animation has come forward, 
Right. It's insane going, especially the humans. Oh, you go back and All the first humans. one, you, watch, you look at the humans, it's like, there's something wrong. Yeah, the first one, it was a milestone in animation for when it came out. Absolutely. It doesn't hold up. I, I recently rewatched about half of it. And I'm like, ooh, man. The story, the, the, the toys story. move correctly. Yep. I mean, at uh, the time when, especially if you're a little kid, you don't care. Yeah. But, you know, watching it as an adult, you know, kind of seeing how it's progressed, it's slowly gotten better. But you go back and watch those first ones and you're like, I thought that was good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And Even the thing is, I apologize. Go ahead, Tom. Go ahead. Okay. But uh, the thing is, you look and you go, you watch it through. The story is still, the story and the performances and the music are all still really good. It's just the visual that's like, ooh, mm, and that's just because of how far we've come. Mm-hmm. And that kind of is interesting that they're, fl- they're basically, their Flagstone series, they continuously improved on it. And there are very few people that think that the sequels are in any way inferior to the ones before, which isn't really the case that often. The the big thing to me was textures. Oh, yeah. Like, Bo mm-hmm. Peep, she looked like she was made out of porcelain. And yes. I never questioned that, whereas the original... There wasn't yeah. that kind of shiny texture. Well, no, there was, but everyone had it. Everyone yeah. had the very shiny kind of blobby looking texture. Yeah. Not really like Woody looks like a doll made from like plastic and, you know, fabric. And yeah, then like the rubber head with the, yeah. the woven uh, kind of cotton. cotton, cotton yeah, cotton. cotton, cotton, cotton arms, yeah. Yeah. I'd almost I'd almost say that the ones that the from the first and even the second one look more made of plasticine. Yeah, they just seemed or PVC. like they were all made out of the same thing. Yeah. Whereas now you could see the difference between, like, the the rubber of Woody's head. Right. And... The plastic from Buzz. Plastic on Buzz or the porcelain on Bo. Bo Peep, Bo Peep comes back. for the, She was gone in three. Yeah, right. that, that, that I did why. hear. Yeah. They explain why, and it's, it's actually a really well-done story. Mm. The uh, Woody Bo Peep storyline in this movie is really well done. Yes. Uh, I, I won't lie, that was one of the things that I was curious when you said, when you mentioned the fact that Bo Peep was back. I was like, oh, that's going to be something interesting. And I know, Tom, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was just going to say, watching the first movie, even as an adult, looking at that, looking through it as with the same eyes that I would have looked at it when it first came out, those animations that they did really were impressive at that time. And then going forward and seeing how they are now, it's just an amazing thing to me to see how far we've progressed using that technology. Just like watching and seeing how video games have progressed and integrating that technology there. It's it's just amazing to me. And it lo- I, I look forward to seeing how they're going to utilize this technology going forward through film, with film. So you say that, and I actually watched a little small video from um, the Disney Corporation a couple days ago, where Walt Disney was talking about, it wasn't his invention, it was someone in his company, it was dynamic scene changes, and they were talking about the movie Bambi, where they used to draw just the background on a, just a flat surface, one piece of paper, mm-hmm. and they would zoom in on a certain part, but it looked like everything was getting bigger, and they didn't want that for the series. So what they ended up doing was they built this giant, essentially like a rack for each part of the scene. So some had like the first bottom rack would have very dense, like let's say trees, for example. So very dense trees. Are you next talking about rack, layering? Layering. 
Yeah, so they would have very dense trees, and then the next one would have, like, the house. The one after that would have, you know, the character. And as they moved throughout the scene, it didn't... It looked more fluid. And when you zoomed in on something, it didn't make everything look strange. Because mm-hmm. the, the thing was staying there, like, if you zoomed in on a tree, it was staying in the same spot while the characters moved about. And so seeing that from, you know, Walt Disney's time to now we've gone to computer animation and motion capture and movies and video games and all those types of things are just getting so much better and it's so cool to look back on how old movies were made from just drawing you know frames page by page just animators to now we can use all this technology to make these amazing films that we watch today well, even the stu- the old school stuff to what a lot of people consider the the golden age for Disney. Look at Beauty and the Beast. It had a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, the layering and the movement and dynamic, all that sort of movement, and still done mostly by pen and paper. Right. But just quality uh, way up, mm-hmm. and still looking beautiful. It's. Altogether, everything animation-wise has just come a long way, and you see that every every time Pixar brings out a new a new Toy Story, you see it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And just an example of just how well this movie's done. It's opening weekend. It looks like it's brought in 118 million dollars for opening weekend. That does not surprise me. So, what was its budget? Uh, off It doesn't say what its budget is yet. Why is that not surprising? Yeah, 118 million is what it's brought in for opening weekend, uh, with Child's Play coming in second and Anna falling into the ten spot. I forgot that Anna came out. (laughs) I know that Father's Day weekend we double sold out Avengers for Father's Day because that's still even however many weeks later that's still doing well. Over a month. Over a month. Yeah, and with the re-release coming out. Yes, yeah. the re-release. We can talk about that later, though. Yeah, yes. we'll get into Mention that, later, that since we'll there's not much competition. So, re-release. so I will definitely infer from what you two are saying. Definitely a go see. Yes, yeah. highly, highly recommend. Oh yeah, right. I, I think I ultimately gave it a nine or a ten out of ten. Yeah, so I would definitely agree with awesome. that. Awesome. Great. That means I'm going to actually have to see Toy Story 3. <laughs> I admit its existence. Thanks. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> it had a happy ending. Damn it. Two had a happy ending. Yeah, I think you'll like it. I'm just being stubborn at this point, honestly. <laughs> I was very happy to see Billy Goat and Gruff back. Those are names. <laughs> They're Bo Peep Sheep. Yeah, the Bo Peep Sheep. That's right. It did have a name, didn't it? Yep. Even if Woody couldn't remember them. Oh. That might be why I don't remember They're good boys. They are oh, good girls. girls. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a fun joke. But, well, to put that to the side. So let's go into our topic for this week, which is documentaries. documentaries. Yeah. All right. How many documentaries have we all seen in our lives? A bunch of them, because thanks, school. Yeah, we're not going to count school here. I won't lie. It really depends on what what's considered a documentary and what I actually remember. <laughs> because 
if we're talking about like movie movie documentaries, I've seen maybe half a dozen, but I don't remember most of them. If we're talking about movie length documentaries on TV, I've seen way more mm-hmm. because my mother loves the uh, that Crime ID channel or True oh, ID yeah. channel. True idea. Yeah, or what we call her murder porn channel. <laughs> yep. My dad was obsessed with it for several years. I've seen quite a lot on there just by osmosis with my mother having that on in the background. Thank you. So I've seen a few. I do like to watch, you know, sit down with a good serial killer documentary every now and then. Yeah, but your murder porn. The, the murder porn. But they're so long that I usually just opt for more of a docu-series that, you know, changes every once in a while. I do watch BuzzFeed Unsolved on YouTube. It's ran by BuzzFeed. They talk about unsolved cases. And it's very, very interesting. They do everything from the Zodiac Killer to the Black Dahlia murder, things like that. But as far as actual documentaries, the only I can only remember three. So we'll get into those a little bit later. But Devin, how many have you seen being the movie connoisseur out of all of us? Well, when I knew we were going to do this, I'm like, okay, I'll just start listing documentaries I've seen. I got a list of at least 45. So <clears throat> this is a common occurrence. Yep. Too much. So going off of that, I've been doing some more looking as to what I've actually seen, and I'm somewhere in the same boat as you. My problem is, is most of mine are History Channel documentaries mm-hmm. that are anywhere between two and six hours long. Oh, those are the fun ones, though. Mine are actual theatrical documentaries. Uh, yeah. I want to say about half of the ones I've seen, maybe a little bit less than half, have been in theaters. The one yeah, that half could be in theaters. The other, <laughs> well, the one would not be. It was nine, somewhere between six and nine hours long on the Knights Templar. Mm. And on VHS, it breaks down to four v- four actual tapes. Man, those were the days. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember having to watch Titanic on two VHSs. Oh, yeah. I remember watching uh, Ten Commandments on three. Wait. Ten Commandments. What? Wasn't that the Heston movie? Yeah. Oh, what? That, that, that was a three VHS movie? Three VHS movie. Wow. How long did it take you to rewind all those? <laughs> I don't know. I gave them back to my neighbor. (laughs) On rewind. Wow, that guy. Jackass. Well, no, I was like ten or twelve when I watched it. Jackass. What you do is you rewind it right before a spoiler. No. (laughs) Well, I don't know because even if I did rewind them, which I don't know if I did, I probably did. We had a rewinder. Oh yeah, we had those. That you just stick the tape in, close it, and it rewound it for you, so I could just keep watching the movie. Those are nice. Then of course you did you did the manly way with a screwdriver manually. Oh man, oh, you really yeah. get some nice uh nice torque. Uh, nice torque. Real I can do muscles. that for a reason. So That's I, creepy, we're not talking about. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, why don't we go into some actual documentaries? Who wants to go first? Raise your hand. Should it be one of the people that should be either you or me who have very little very little uh, niche ones essentially? Sure. I'll, I'll go first. So the first one I'm going to talk about is the most recent one I've watched, which is the Ted Bundy tapes, which was released on Netflix uh, this year and it was chilling to watch this documentary. I had known a little bit about Ted Bundy, you know, the type of person he was. He was a very very good looking man that um, coerced young women into helping him. He would fake an injury. He would take them from college campuses. So this 
documentary went into him sitting down with a reporter and just telling essentially his side of the story. But what happened was he really didn't want to talk about it with the reporter. He wanted to talk about other things and glorify his life. And the reporter's like, you murdered 30 plus people. Why don't we talk about that? And essentially it was just him trying to defend himself and say, I don't want to talk about that. Why would I talk about that? That's not the most interesting part of my life. So, One, yes, it is. And two, the man's a sociopath. He he really was. So listening to these tapes of him talking with this reporter were absolutely terrifying for one, because this man seriously thinks he did zero things wrong. I remember seeing bits and pieces of it, especially going through, you see preview stuff. Mm-hmm. But I did see a little bit of it. Or maybe just other variations from way back. Mm-hmm. Wasn't he very much trying to make him out himself out to be the victim? He was. He was. He was making himself out to be the victim, and he also just he tried to be his own lawyer in a lot of cases. And he <sighs> that was real well. He was such a charismatic person that about half of the actual public wasn't sure if he did these things because he seemed air quotes for those of you who can't see he seemed like such a nice down to earth person and then you talk to families of his victims or people who got away from him and you realize he's a crazy man that should be put away for the rest of his life if not given the death of sentence well i have I, I have the same thought for whenever manson comes up mm-hmm. charles manson it's like how do so many people still nowadays believe that he did nothing wrong when this guy is just straight out psychotic mm-hmm. he carved a swastika into his head that is not something a rational person does Right. Wait, they don't? <laughs> no. So Shut it, Ginger. <laughs> so if you look at the Ted Bundy Tapes documentary, there's also a Netflix movie that came out with Zac Efron playing De- Ted Bundy. Oh my god. Extremely and, wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Yes. And Terrible people man. on the internet were up in <laughs> arms about this because Zac Efron's such a good-looking person. You know him from High School Musical or the Neighbor series, and you're like, we love him. That's the exact reason they chose him for this movie because Ted Bundy was such a lovable person. He was that guy. He was that guy. He was perfect for the role. I haven't seen this movie yet, but I am dying to sit down and watch it because it is, I cannot wait to see how he does. I actually really liked the extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. Again, mm. Terrible name. <laughs> terrible title. The biggest problem I have with a lot of these serial killer stuff, though, is the fact that... Mm. They essentially, through not not intentionally, more often than not, well, let's not talk about those. They tend to glorify in its in a certain way the fact that these people have done such horrible things, and then you've got other people who may not be quite right in the head who see that and say, like, "Wow, if I do something like that, they'll talk about me." Right, and then it kind of perpetuates stuff especially when they don't really give any care to the to the victims you always hear about the murderer you never hear about the victims yeah so now when there's you know a mass shooting somewhere a lot of the media is trying to uh point pinpoint more toward the victims and their families and not release the the gunman's name or the terrorist name or whoever just to not give them the validation they were looking as for. it should be like if the yeah. person's caught and all that sort of stuff I hate to phrase it like this, but they should basically be unpersoned. Like, you should mm-hmm. never hear anything about them, and they should die alone and not celebrate it. Right. Because that's part of what gives 
to the very, very bad apples that pop up every so often. Right. So anyway, that was Ted Bundy serial killer tapes, my first documentary I was talking about. So why don't we move on to someone else? Tom, go. Okay, so uh, the first one that I'd like to bring up is The Army of Rome. Uh, This one I actually found on the Amazon Prime uh, streaming service. Oh, I'm going to check it out then. Yeah. It's two hours, 47 minutes. Came out in 2006 by director Ron Green. Uh, It explores how Rome had the most advanced army for its time, and it's the precursor of what a world power is. Like, their army has... Like, their army is... Exactly. The and it denotes from beginning of the Roman Empire Empire to the end of the Roman Empire, literally through its fall. The different parts of what the Roman army was made up from, how they were distinguished from each other, its evolution from being this army that was not so very well trained, but just really well organized to being the superpower that it became on the battlefield. And it's funny too, because this was a point that stuck out to me very much so from the documentary was we always hear now about how horrible the food is whenever you hear about anybody in the military talking, oh, the food's terrible. Yeah, whatever. MREs. Right. Right. And that is never something that is ever brought up by any documentation by a Roman soldier, ever, about how their food is bad. They were given some of the best food ever. It was incredibly diverse. Lots of food, or lots of grains, vegetables, Protein, that kind of thing. And it was all very diverse and kept them very well fed. In fact, it's one of the few times in our history where we can truly say the men were literally out uh, living the women because of their nutrition. Huh. Men would, in the Roman army, at the height of the Roman army, they were living well into their 40s simply because of the fact that they were eating better than their spouses were. Interesting. That's and for, insane to think about. Yeah, and in a lot of cases, it was actually, depending on how high up in the ranks you were, you weren't even technically allowed to marry. Just Why? because of the, the food rations? or No, because the Roman emperors wanted you to have the idea of no... Staying first. No, not even. If you weren't married to somebody who... Because you were usually stationed wherever... If you weren't married or didn't have ties to the local population and that you had to put them down, they didn't want you going, oh, but my family, they wanted you to look at them and go, well, time to call this insurrection. I see. And they didn't care whether they were man, woman, child. You put them down. Yeah, the Roman army is very vicious. Yeah, they were very much into decimation and things like that. Which is very interesting when you look at the origin of that word. Yeah. For every tenth man, one was killed. Yep. Which people do not use it that way nowadays. No. And they were very much into their own self-discipline within uh, their groups. Oh, yeah. What's the best way to phrase it? They took a lot of cues from the Greeks, but whereas Greeks was more, what was it? The Greeks were pathos. The Romans were logos. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, because the Greeks were about emotion and individuality, all that free expression, kind of. 
and this is all with giant quotations, and the the Rome, Roman was very lo- uh, logistics. Yeah, the Romans also, too, were looking at it as if very much of you put everybody in the group um, at, at the same level as you would put yourself. So if, for instance, uh, it was a very common thing that if you were on the night watch and you fell asleep, they would probably end up stoning you to death because, or beating you to death because of the simple fact that you put the entire group at risk because you decided to fall asleep. Oh, I see. And every time that you went into a Roman camp, every tent was in the exact same spot. And they could literally pack up and go on the move and create an entire fort out of what they carried with them, including the defensive pikes and everything like that. They carried all that with them. It sounds insane. It was. It was. Uh, it, it's just insane to listen to. Um, even just going from the way their money was used, everything like that. And it, it was just, it, it's a great documentary. I highly, highly recommend it. Does it go into how large the army got at its highest point? Uh, I believe so. I think, um, if I, I remember correctly, somewhere around 700,000? I want to say it was a little higher than that. There, then, there are definitely mixed records on that, and but I want to say somewhere around like And then it actually breaks down the size of all the different units that they had. So a Centurion in front of a hundred, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Well, Centurion was actually only 80. Because, yes. <laughs> Le- legitimately, it was only 80 men. Most I people don't think that it was 100, but it was actually 80. Well, because you think Century. Yeah. So there, there's a thing you can learn from this documentary. Yeah. How many were actually in Yeah, so it actually breaks down, like, what, how many were in a Legion, how many were in a Century, how many were in... Squad. Yeah, the different parts of the... All the different breakdowns, squads, okay. all that. Breaks it all down. It's really cool to hear and see. And then it even talks about the once you had the breakup of Eastern and Western Roman Empire and all that. So Very, very cool. Yeah. Awesome. That, that definitely sounds like something I should probably look into. Yeah. I am going to make a left turn on the topics of discussion in the sen- in sense of tone. Because okay. the first one I actually want to talk about is it was a... Subject of a 2005 documentary film, The Aristocrats. Oh, so good. Not The Aristocats, the, the Disney film? No, which I won't lie, for the longest time I mixed up in my head. <laughs> which, no, <laughs> don't do that. That would be a change if The Aristocrats and The Aristocrats are the same movie. Oh, man, all those children would be scarred for life. <laughs> Pretty much. It follows... The whole documentary is very much... Just interviews with various comedians. Penn and Gillette pop in there. I can't remember too many of them, but some big names, yeah, like a lot of really big names, following the history of just one of the most unnecessarily off-color jokes that yep. just goes on and on and on. And the biggest one that stands out to me was when they actually showcase and talk about the joke being performed by Gilbert Gottfried at the roast of Hugh Hefner. God, yes. Oh, I love roasts. Yeah, yes. I, I'll actually play you a, a bit of that because it'll give you the whole context for it. Yes. But he's go he 
the setup to that is that Gilbert Gottfried said a 9-11 joke that did not go over well because it had oh. only been, I want to say, a couple months. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, the, the crowd kind of quelled from that. And you can see him kind of thinking, and it's like, okay, how do I have to... How do you save that? Yeah, how do you save oh. that? And then he just, he breaks out the aristocrats, which is... The basis of it is that a family of however many go into a talent agency and then, hey, we've got a, we've got an act for you. And the talent agency is like, oh, OK, what is it? And then they just start doing just the most depraved stuff. And it keeps going further and further and further. And you can see him start start telling it and <laughs> helped by the fact that his voice is so unique and funny in and of itself. Like the crowd's kind of like, kind of a murmur there, and then you just see the comedians that are on stage, not him, just dying of laughter. But that—that's that. Which is one, again one of the most iconic one versions of it that yeah. I can think of. But the whole thing is just going interview to interview with various comedians and kind of trying to figure out well what makes it what it is. Trying to break, basically kill the joke, dissecting it, trying try right. to figure out what it is. And most of the time, people are just saying, it's like, well, it just goes that far that it's kind of so audacious that it wraps around to, from offensive to funny again. Gotcha. And that's George Carlin, Don Rickles would be a couple others. Thank oh, you. George I couldn't, Carlin. Yeah, I could not think of. I knew there were big names in there, but I could not think yeah. of them. I can only think of Penn and Gillette. Penn and Gillette. And Chris Rock. Teller. Uh, Jason Alexander, Hank Azaria. That's right. Yeah, there were a lot of big names in this. Uh, big comedy. Louis Black. <laughs> Mario Cantone. Yeah, just Carrie. Just to just name a, a few. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah. there's, there's like probably a dozen. Connolly. That's right. But yeah, it's yeah. it just showcased like talking about all of them, what they thought, have they ever used the joke? And all in all, it's a very interesting history on just the comedy in general. I forgot Carrie Fisher was also in there. Oh my god, that's right. Rest in peace, Carrie Fisher. But I would definitely suggest it, especially if you just like comedians, and it's definitely a total shift from everything else we're gonna hear today. Yeah, I wanna go back and watch it for sure. Yeah. I'll have to see if I can find it. Yes. All right. That's uh, that's the first one I want to talk about. Devin? All right, Devin, you with the extensive mm. list, all of your Who's choices. Still been working on it this entire time. Yeah, I've been adding and changing stuff up. The, <laughs> kind of the big thing for me is a lot of the movies I pick are based in like cinematography or production design or that kind of stuff. And documentaries are notorious for not having good cinematography. Yeah. It's a documentary. Not having good pacing, not having good production design, if any production design. So I'm trying to find one that is still well shot, is an interesting story told in an interesting way. Originally, I was going to say Air Guitar Nation, but Air Guitar Nation, <laughs> Air Guitar Championships in Finland, and the two American champions going over to Finland to, to out weird Finland, <laughs> which good luck. Finland. Yeah. Oh, Finland has some weird yeah. stuff. But as much as I loved Air Guitar Nation, uh, there's actually a documentary that I saw this past year at the film festival in August called The Russian Five. Okay. Uh, okay. It's about five Russians. It's about it five Russians. All right. That's all I got for you. It's Vyacheslav Kozlov, yep. Vladimir Konstantinov, Igor Larionov, Sergei Fedorov, and 
Sergei Fatisov. Wait, we're talking about hockey? Yeah. The Russian Five. The Russian Five Detroit from Red Detroit Red Wings. Oh, and wow. Since we're in Michigan, Detroit area, I just want to <laughs> mention this film. It's an unbelievably well done and interesting deep dive into how the Detroit Red Wings ended up with these five Russians in the late 80s, right as the, the Cold War was like finishing up and how they had to defect from Russia and how I can't remember the name of the manager that actually went to Canada to extract Sergei Fedorov and then smuggle him across the border and sign him up as as an American citizen and just it has all of this like espionage of them trying to get the Russian five out of the Red Wings. That sounds amazing. Because it, because it was like right before the fall of USSR. Yeah, the USSR yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So it was like, how do we get these five amazing Russian players who really didn't speak a word of English? That suddenly explains why the why the Red Wings started dominating. Oh them yeah, in the 90s. And Sergei Fedorov <laughs> just unbelievably talented forward. Oh, he's great. Uh, Igor Larionov is one of the one one of the smartest players in all, of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have Fatisov, and I believe it was Konstantinov as the defenseman. Then you have. Uh, Vyacheslav Kozlov as the other forward and the five of them were just such a dominant finesse line like you just couldn't touch them and the defenseman just locked you down and it was such a different way of playing from the Canadian and European style of hockey that was being played at the time and this was before like any Russian players were allowed in the NHL so it was this documentary deep dives into all of the the goings on in the early 90s and leading up to the wins, the back-to-back wins of the Stanley Cup in 97 and 98. Wow. It chronicles that. I know that, that, was, that was the big point where hockey was is really the only sport I've ever watched. Yeah. And I've even, I've got a Shanahan jersey and went to a I game. Federoff off. jersey. Yeah. So I, I, the second you said Federoff, people said, wait a minute, we're talking about Red Wings. What? <laughs> Yeah, we got oh, an Eisenman playoff jersey. Yeah, it's like, and again, they came in late 80s. Late 80s, and then they won their, it chronicles them almost getting to the finals or like the, everything lining up, the, the like Eisenman and Lidstrom and all these big players in the 90s for the Red Wings. And being, I used to play hockey when I was in High school, then I broke my arm, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good, I'm done. <laughs> We're not gonna lose him. Yeah, mm, that that was a weird weird game. I got a pe- I got a penalty for for fighting because I hit the guy that broke my arm. <laughs> he didn't. He got away scot free. I'm like, I'm done. I'm gonna go into theater. Isn't that part of hockey where you just have to get into a fight? Or are you really not playing? Uh, what Pretty I always what, the way I love to describe hockey is that it's about four sports in one. You've got the figure skating, you've got lacrosse, and like you've got boxing. <laughs> Where's the fourth one? That was only three. Yeah, I, I know. I couldn't tell. The other one's arithmetic. He's, he's never good at that one. <laughs> it's fine. I never played hockey. I wasn't good at the, I wasn't good at the fourth part of it. But, but yeah, it was... The documentary just really shows how important everyone that was not on the ice was for the Red Wings in the 90s. Yes. Yeah. 
the fact that like the the equipment manager was the one to drive someone across the border and there were like all these they were like purposely not doing the big people on the team but they were like shuffling around behind the scenes and it's really really well done I can just imagine though it's like trying to trying to say that he like he's from Michigan or some stuff well yeah yeah of course of course Sergei's from Michigan aren't you Sergei suck up yeah yeah I know what you mean man yeah and they because they like we're talking at with them at the 88 Olympics I think or the the Winter Olympics in late right like yeah and they were like hey do you want to come and play with us and he's like ah da da he's like really interested but he was still under Soviet Russia right and that if you want to talk about an Iron Curtain that's yeah and they like go into how they got Kozlov out and like they had to fake a whole bunch of stuff just to get him into the lobby downstairs and then like they were followed all the way and practically had to fake his death I'd imagine I don't remember but there's just so many convoluted things just to get him across the border and and, and the weirdest thing is it's not because he's a spy it's not because he has like knowledge that he shouldn't have he's a hockey player yeah right and it was and this length they didn't want Americans to have the the secret like Russian hockey formula or whatever (laughs) and this was when the the red the the Russian red team was just dominating the Olympics. Mm. So, oh yeah, is that the miracle thing that was the, the based yeah. on that? Yeah, miracle is the the team that beat the the red wave. Yeah, yep. wow, which had a bunch of the, the Russian five on it. That's so, right. that sounds amazing. Actually, so I, I might want to check it it's out. It's a really well done sports documentary, and a lot of I don't watch a lot of sports documentaries. Nor <laughs> do I watch history documentaries. So, yeah, sports history documentary. You've done good. Yeah. And so. Yeah. So we had a serial killer documentary. We had a nice history documentary. We had a comedy, comedy documentary, and then we had a sports documentary. Yeah. So very wide, very, very eclectic, very wide. I'm enjoying it a lot. So why don't we move into my, a second one? My other one. Um, the third one I've seen is Supersize Me, but that was back in high school, and that was a whole time. I could go off on Supersize Me, but but Maybe. I'm personally I want to talk about one of the first documentaries that I really got into and I really advocate a lot about was the Netflix Netflix documentary Blackfish, which was about SeaWorld. And me being 2013, I was 18, 19. And when I was really, really young, I think I was six, six years old. I had gone to California. I had been to San Diego SeaWorld. I had the time of my life. We watched the seals. We watched Shamu. We watched baby Shamu. It was such a cool experience. So you know, adult me goes and watches a documentary and now all those memories are tarnished. (laughs) So if you haven't seen Blackfish or you don't know what it's about, it's about SeaWorld and all of their claims about their whales being raised in captivity. SeaWorld claimed that whales lived um, either the same lifespan or significantly longer lifespan in captivity. And the documentary said, no, that is not true. SeaWorld said, oh, they live, you know, females live 30 years and males live 50 in captivity. And um, they really don't. They live about 20 years in captivity, if that. And in the wild, they live significantly longer. So it kind of went to expose SeaWorld, expose their lies. And there are now a lot of advocates trying to, you know, shut down SeaWorld because these whales are raised in captivity. Um, They really aren't like 
you know, conservation areas like zoos are where they take animals from the wild and they help them. It's more just for show and it's really not great. And so this documentary came out in 2013 and a lot of it was about this one whale named Tillicum who was the main orca of SeaWorld and he ended up killing three different people in SeaWorld and um, one of them was featured in the film named Dawn Branchow who was wearing her hair in a ponytail and so the one day she was in there she was you know stroking him she was doing a show and he grabbed her by the ponytail and yanked her underneath and she drowned and it was awful, awful, terrible thing that happened. And many people that were um, producing the documentary said it was because of the fact that Tillicum was fed, you know, not as many fish. They were short on fish that it didn't have enough to go around or Dawn made a mistake by wearing her hair in a ponytail. And it, um, you know, it kind of caught his eye and he thought it was a fish, all these different things. But the main the main point of this documentary was Whales should not be in captivity. Orcas need to be out in the wild, in pods. Killing whales. <laughs> They're called the killer whale. Yeah, but they don't kill whales, they kill seals. But yeah. it it just really goes into depth about SeaWorld and all of their things. So, whales, so. Um, after this movie came out, uh, I looked it up, and SeaWorld, the first um, six months to a year, they suffered a $15.9 million loss in revenue after this came out. Um, So big hit. And they claimed, oh, it was only 5% of sales, blah, blah, blah. And they have come out with, you know, counter arguments saying that's not true. So really, if you go to SeaWorld, you know, do your research and really look into it. Um, In November of 2015, they said they plan to end Orca shows in San Diego. I don't know about their um, other sites. And then in March 2016, they were officially ending the Orca breeding program. So this movie did really help to take a lot of strides in there. Hopefully one day, you know, SeaWorld isn't a thing. Or if they are, it's more of like a conservation type effort and less a show for the masses. Like more Jurassic Park. Right. Wait. <laughs> it's more like, you know, the circus, how the circus eventually stopped using elephants um, because of all the backlash of how they were being treated. It's because the Golden Company didn't bring them. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the other one I wanted to talk about was Blackfish and SeaWorld. Yeah, I, I saw Blackfish at a, at a film festival and it was like, one of those that's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But it reminded me of, of another documentary called The Cove. Mm. That's, that's about a, the Japanese fishing. Like the whaling. How they, it's the fishing, but they catch the, they catch like dolphins. Right. And they just kill the dolphins and leave them in this cove. Yeah. And it's them, like the documentarians trying to find this cove of dead dolphins. And yeah, it's a it's a really well done documentary, but it's it's just like Blackfish. It's not a feel good documentary. It's really not. Like I said, it tarnished all of my memories from when I was six years old. To yeah. be fair, I'm a, a little bit of a sidetrack. Documentaries in general seem to be somewhat more of a modern thing. And correct me if I'm wrong, 90% of them seem to have an agenda. Oh, they all have an agenda. They definitely all have an agenda. Instead of just, well, no, I'd, I'd argue that the Roman thing was just Education. showcasing knowledge. Yeah. Yes. Where yeah. I, which I prefer, which is also a reason I don't really get into doc- documentaries, is that they're all pushing something 
And a lot of the times they can also kind of fudge numbers to suit their message, which is why I always kind of take things with a grain of salt. Correct. That was the big thing with Blackfish because they were saying one thing, SeaWorld was saying another. In the end, you just got to really look into and do your research. A lot, a lot of hearsay, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So moving on. Timothy. So this one I'm, I was kind of torn with because there's two of them that I really wanted to bring up. You can pull me and bring them both up. <laughs> I'm, yeah, Please sure don't pull Devin. I've already brought up three movies. So. I'm sure that works. Uh, so going off of that idea, the one that I really want to talk about is uh, Behind the Curve. However, I also really want to talk about Won't You Be My Neighbor? Which was a great film about. I really want to watch. Won't you be my neighbor? Yeah, about yeah. Uh, Fred Rogers of the Mister Rogers TV show. Nice to see Tom Hanks as Mister Rogers. I'm so excited. Yeah, I want to see that. Like, I liked uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, but it's one of those that afterwards I'm like, oh, okay, I'm gonna forget I watched that until someone mentions it. I'm like, oh yeah, I watched that, didn't I? Yeah, that That's one was pretty good. It's, it's only an hour and a half long. It's an hour and thirty four minutes long for Not Won't bad. You Be My Neighbor. Uh, but Behind the Curve came out in 2018. It's an hour and 35 minutes. And it's a documentary where we get to meet some flat earthers. No. Oh, wow. Wait, what? Yep. Where we get to meet some flat earthers. And it shows how it's a growing contingent of people in our society who are jumping on the bandwagon of the flat earth concept. You know and what? joining this movement of people who believe that the world is flat and circular and that depending on the flat earth theory that you follow, there is either a dome over us and the sun and moon basically act as like a central point in the sky that just kind of circles around this giant disc that is earth. Yeah, that's the one I th- I'm thinking of. Or, or that something similar is going on, but there's no dome, and that there are multiple Earth disks next to each other. This hurts. I don't want you to talk about this one. Pick your one should be my neighbor. No, and I'm not one of us about smart people. The other one's <laughs> about dumbasses. No, to be fair, the main guy of this movie. Goes was originally against the flat Earth policy. Originally, please don't tell me converted through this. He did, of course he did. Oh my! So he was originally like one of those guys that liked to deep dive into conspiracies and things like that. And he naturalized just to (laughs) he naturalized (laughs) just that way he could find out why people thought this way. And then he go. His name is Mark K. Sargent. What a name! That should not. He should not have that awesome a name for this much of a dumbass. Right, and. He's the main focal point of this, and he is just like, yeah, I believed that this was a whole thing. I couldn't understand it. He started doing his own research into it, and he's like, you know, this makes a lot more sense. That's called a cult. Yeah, right. And so it goes into a few other people who are into this flat earth movement as well. And then... There's a point where an experiment is proposed. Oh, no. Oh, no. What? To prove that the Earth is flat. So they're going to get in a bunch of boats and find the edge of the world. No. And it's going to be like the amazing race with no. flat earthers, and I will watch every second of it. <laughs> no, there is that thing that is actually being worked on, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Still, where what are they doing? Instead of taking an expedition into the Antarctic... 
to see if it keeps going. They're going to try to find the anarchic and then just go around the disc because they believe that it's completely surrounded by a giant mountain shield thing of ice that you can't cross. This hurts. Rather than try to explore inland because that apparently is too expensive. That that hurts in many capacities. Right. So the experiment was this. And it was based off the idea that Mark looks across because he's in California, I guess. And he's looking across and he goes, you see that right there? That over there is San Francisco or some location. I forget what he said. Some city. We're several, several miles away. Those buildings are really tall still, but they're several miles away. I shouldn't be able to see that that well. If the world is curved, they should be down low or something. I shouldn't be able to see them that well. Does he realize how large the Earth is? Right. So, so he goes, the experiment is this. We're going to take three boards. We're going to drill holes through them. And then we're going to set them large distances apart. And then we're going to shoot a beam of light. So essentially a laser through them. This is stuff Galileo did. Right. Through them to show that it gets through. First time they do it, light dispersal. It spreads out. I can't tell if it's the actual focal point or if it's just because it's spread out that it's getting through this. Okay, fair. So then he's like... We'll figure out a way of refining it. So they find a way of being able to refine the light. So it's like a laser more, more that doesn't have as much dispersal. Okay. So as it goes out yeah, to concentrate it. Mm-hmm. So that way uh, it doesn't spread as much as it grow, goes out. I see. And the guy goes, okay, hold up the thing. They actually have a picture of it on IMDb of the experiment illustration. Oh, we'll tell, we'll look at this afterwards. Right. Yeah. Anyways, so the guy's sitting there and he's like, hold it up higher. I, I'm holding it as high as I can. No, hold it higher. Well, well doesn't okay. that prove that it's not? So he, he had, the other end had to be 23 feet off the ground that sounds for it right. to get through all three boards. That sounds about right. To the other end. Well, yeah, they just didn't. They proved the a curve. These are down enough. Right. Well, that was, no, that was the thing. The guy saw this and goes, nope, some, the, the experiment was faulty. Oh, boy. He has evidence, <clears throat> right? The, good evidence yeah. of the curve. Yeah. And says, screw Socrates figured out it was curved just by a stick in the ground in the shadow. And this was thousands of years ago. And uh, this hurts. This I hate. I hate this sort of anti-intellectualism. Yeah, exactly. It. And it's one of the things that, like, for instance, one of my heroes, Bill Nye, advocates against. Because hey, yeah, that that's where that's a whole other discussion, Tom. Well, I'm sorry. A documentary I've seen. <laughs> yeah, that's my science guy. Yes, good one too, by the way. Yeah, uh, I Bill Nye is a smart guy, and he fights so hard for people to actually think and be smart and do things versus this. You know what? You know what though? I say that I I don't like this, but I they're at least not doing anything dangerous, unlike 
certain other anti-intellectual groups, but we're not going to get into that. Right. My, depending on what mine is. Uh, okay. You know what? I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be surprised or unhappy if that was the case, but we're going to wait to see. So, yeah, so that's, that's the one that I found, and that was on Netflix. You know what? I would love to watch this, but I'd start spitting angry words and syllables and if at I'm the not screen. Mis- if I'm not mistaken, it's, yeah, it's actually gone to a couple of uh, film festivals. Again, I would just start angry vitriol would come out of my mouth. Not even words. What year is it? 2018. I might oh, see that. That, sure. that, that. Oh, no. I okay. won't go and see it. So, but. moving on from that, <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you give us something else to think about? I'm, I'm not going to give you something happy. I'm going to tell you that right now, unfortunately. But the other one I want to talk about tonight is a 2004 American documentary film about something called the Paperclips Project. And it's where a, a middle school class, I don't know if the teachers have thought to be an interesting idea, a thought experiment, but they eventually set out to collect six million paperclips representing the six million Jewish people that were killed during the Holocaust. And it just details how this thing started and how it started snowballing. And eventually they actually got 11 million paperclips to not only represent the Jewish people, mm. but the Roma, the gay and like the gay people, all everything one that was uh, persecuted by by them and put into those camps. And just seeing the big thing that started off was the fact that what does six million things look like? That is a number that we know intellectually is large. Right. But physically, what does that look like? And things small as paper clips, seeing them all lined up next to each other. I can't even imagine. The end result was the fact that there is now a an old German box cart that was used to transport Jewish people to the camps that they filled with the six million paper clips. And it like it's I want to say it's a say six by ten like compartment area. And it's filled halfway up mm-hmm. with the paper clips. And it is absolutely disturbing because that many something so small filling up that much space. And you it's still not anywhere near what it actually was. But you start to see the enormity of just how many people were affected by that. Right. And it's an interesting look because it showcases not only just the things that because so many people from around the country eventually started sending in when they heard when they were hearing about this and but it also if I remember correctly it's been forever since I've seen it unfortunately but it showcases some of the history of that sort of stuff like like I said the boxcar that's now in one of those memorials and again just the biggest moment that stands out to me was seeing all those paper clips just seeing how many six million paper clips are and thinking it's like that is how many people were forced and killed because of because of the actions of so comparatively few mm-hmm. and it's very sobering but i would definitely recommend it be it middle school students from a small southeastern tennessee town of whitwell Create a monument for the Holocaust victims. Started in 98 as a civil eighth grade project to study other cultures and involved in the one gaining worldwide attention. Oh, wait. At last count, 30 million paperclips have been received. That's crazy. But, 
Yep, and they the the rail car they. The Children's Holocaust Memorial consists of an authentic German transport car surrounded by a small garden, was filled with 11 million paperclips, 6 million for the for the Jewish people, and the other 5 million between the Roma, the Catholics, homosexuals, Jehovah's Witnesses, and other groups. And seeing that, because they do show a picture of it and like kind of the inside, is just insane mm. and even now it's like I, I was kind of flipping through documentaries and it's like I saw the paper clips it's like it all came shuddering back into my head because I saw it pretty much when that when that came out mm. so yeah it's like sorry there's no joke for me this time it's like it's a very touching thing and if you want to see just a small bit of the enormity that happened take a look at that to get some sort of glimpse all right now Devin so throughout the throughout the podcast tonight, I've been like making a list of what everyone's topic has been: serial killer, historical, humorous, sports, nature, basically. Sure, nature, yeah. Nature, yeah. Kind of thing. Nature, nature. Uh, pure idiots. <laughs> I have like Holocaust as reparations because that's kind of how it feels. Yeah, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be so wrong like, to tell that. I would just write sad and think mm. capital letters. <laughs> so I'm like, well, what kind of Documentaries have we not talked about? No, that's a good way of thinking. Sure, I could do like filmmaking documentary with like Raiders or Journey to Planet X or Room Two Thirty Seven, but eh. which would appeal to one person? Yeah, um, or Life Animated, which if you haven't seen Life Animated, autistic kid that only learns how to talk because of Disney movies. Aww. Oh, that's really well done. Almost uh, like I don't remember enough almost about. Sounds it. like the plot to Wally. Pixar story would be a good one too. Yeah. yeah. So I just decided. I'm going to go with what absolutely terrifies me. Okay. You're going with a horror one, eh? Yeah. And I'm going to compliment it because I don't remember enough about the horror one with the, you are stupid for believing that. And here's why. So I'm going to go first off with Jesus camp. Jesus camp? (laughs) Wait a minute. So here's the setup. A school filled with children Uh go to a summer camp where they learn to be the next Billy Graham, the TV TV evangelical that, like, burn the gays and all that kind of thing. This is a camp where they train children to be persecuted or to persecute everybody else and believe that God is the most fantastic thing on the planet. What year was this made? Uh, 2003 or four, somewhere in there. So relatively... 2006. We're, yeah. talk, we're talking a Christian cult then. There are scenes of, like, six-year-old kids in unison chanting, God is great, God is great, and just, like, monotone chanting this, and it absolutely terrified me. Okay. Because it was, like, the most brainwashed, oh, my God, type yeah. just shock I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, there's something I want to ask you about about that afterwards, because yeah. it's off topic it, for this. It was absolutely terrifying. So I'm going to compliment that with Bill Maher's Religious. Religious. Which is, which I is remember such this a one. better documentary. Yes. I remember it is this him asking one. the hard questions of so you believe all of the stuff in the Bible? Yeah. Well, what about this? And he points out all the contradictions. Oh, yeah. And he goes to bishops in the Vatican and oh. asks them, like, do you believe that she actually talked to a snake? He's like, no, 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 of course not. Like, we kind of. We kind of 
no, it's partially fiction. And he gets like bishops in the Vatican admitting that the Bible's not 100% real. No, it's allegory. And the two movies, Jesus Camp and Religious, are the the opposite sides of the same coin. Because he goes to like, he goes to Muslims talking about the Quran. Yes, Quran. He goes to them talking about the Quran and like, what do you, what do you believe? And he's like, he doesn't say you're a you're you are stupid for believing in the Bible. He goes, "Why do you believe that? Why do you believe it? What is?" And then he like points out the things that don't make sense. Uh huh. And the people that he's talking to actually often admit, "I don't believe all of it, but it's more what it's trying to teach you." Like, so in other words, he actually has discourse with people. Yeah. And he goes, of course, he goes to the damn Bible Belt of America. Oh, Why right. would you do that? Because, because it's you Bill have Maher. to. Oh. It, it, it's Bill Maher. You have to. It, the entertainment value missed if you don't. He goes uh, and he asks like a Bible person, well, what about this that you can uh, that you can lay or you can't lay with a donkey? And or like he just starts asking all these really random questions that they mention in the Bible and they get like super pissed at him. And he's just like. Oh, okay. Well, you know, hitting me is against your Bible and stuff like that. Oh, and yeah. The guy's like, oh, you know, and it's like, Bill Maher obviously knows a lot about different religions. Yes. He's very and well he versed. It. And this movie is like, your religion is wrong. Here's why. Change my mind. That whole meme about, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, your religion is stupid. Prove me wrong. This movie does that. And it is. It is ballsy as hell. <laughs> and being an apathetic agnostic, meaning don't care, but if you prove that something's true, I'll go, awesome, and still not care. Me. Yeah. Uh, and this movie is like that in a nutshell. <laughs> and it's great. Oh, it sounds interesting. Yeah. It doesn't help that, like you said, the Bible Belt, they've got some very stupidly religious people. Yeah. The people who have said, it's like, oh, when God said, let there be light, that was kind of a metaphor for creation and all that sort of stuff. No, no, he just went click. Yeah. <laughs> I know people like yeah, that, and, and that like, terrifies me. Do you really believe that the world was created? Like, what about... Uh, 6,000 years ago. He brings up oh, yeah. uh, Darwin and the evolution theory to people in the church. And they're like, yes, we're... We can believe in evolution, but... There are certain differences between evolution and the creation theory, and like the the bishops, the uh, friars, the and everything. And of course, he he's a he's a comedian, so yes, he pokes fun at the Catholic Church and yeah. what they but, may or may not do in closed doors. But I do have to ask this: Does it more or less show respect for the people that actually are trying to explain and like? It does. It also like for those that understand that there are issues. He seems fine with when he talks to people like, say, the Bible Belt of America, and they're just like, no, no, no. God's the most amazing thing ever. He's like, oh, I'm just going to shut this down. <laughs> and then he has then he has fun. Yeah. If they aren't going to show him respect, he doesn't show them any respect. And you know what? That's it, it very much reminds me. And I love Bill Maher for this, watching him from an entertainment standpoint. If you've ever seen the TV show Newsroom. Mm. Mm. He very much reminds me of Jeff Daniels' character on there. Yeah. Especially in this particular documentary because of the fact that he he goes in and he's like, look, 
there he, he breaks it down like a good interviewer will and said, look, there's some inconsistencies, some things that don't make sense. And I just have to know what your thoughts are about this. And if you don't believe like what this means or what this is saying to be true, explain it to me so that way I can understand where you're coming from and what how you understand your belief system. To yeah, work. yeah, and whether it's, you know, it's proper proper discourse and the like. Right, but at the same time, it's just he he brings it to him hard too. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. also a comedian, so he tries to look for the humor. He asks right. the questions they don't want to have to either admit are questions. Or he, like, will ask the questions they can't answer. Exactly. It's kind of like asking the politician who is super religious, saying that God's the one that put me into, uh, says that I should be the next president, saying, so God speaks to you? Yeah. <laughs> he, he does that kind of stuff. And it's. Do you have a regular conversation? Yeah. Is it? If so, how do I take part in these? Because I've been dying to ask some questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's one of those that he doesn't back down from the kind of taboo subject of other yeah. people's religions. So it's one of those that since it didn't fit, since it didn't fit any of the other anyone else's Milieu. topics, yeah. I figured why not? The only other one is food documentaries that we didn't get into. So that's not kind of interesting, yeah. but that is definitely an interesting look at, at those. I definitely have some ones that I want to check out now. Yeah. Thank you very much, Devin. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> does anyone else have any that they just want to mention? The only other one I've seen is Super Size Me and, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a movie about a guy that eats every single thing at McDonald's and gets it supersized and there's a reason you can't supersize things anymore. <laughs> yeah, he eats only McDonald's for, for 30 days. Dinner for 30 days. And if they offer to supersize it, he has to supersize it. Right. Yep. And has to eat everything. And yep. he, you know, he did yep. everything with a doctor, with a nutritionist who said, yeah. you know, you really shouldn't do this. He's like, I want to do a documentary. Let's give it a whirl. I think he only threw up like twice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's up. Mm. He had a point yeah. where if he didn't have some, like he was having it every four hours or whatever. Mm. And if he like was behind, he'd actually get like massive headaches because he's not getting his, his uh, food. It's yeah. Crazy. Oh, man. That says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, and then he also, part of that was also he talked to a guy who would only eat, like, oh, the, the Whoppers the, versus... The Mc five uh, Big Macs a day guy? Yeah, the five Big oh, Macs Oh, that hurts. Dude's super man. skinny, too. I don't get it. But yeah. Eating, like, he's like three Big Macs. He's, like, just shy of being, like, Mayhew tall and super skinny like him. Wow. Yeah. But he eats five Big Macs a day. That that yeah. sounds like an interesting... The only one that comes to mind that I might have brought up is a lot of the, the Russian folklore stuff. That's what interests me. There's one... I caught it like the edge of it years ago, but it, I, I keep trying to look for it. That was kind of interesting. Just talking about the superstition all that sort of stuff for the backbone of the Russian people. If I remember correctly, it was also a bit hyperbolic, exaggerated and the like, but... All that sort of stuff's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm like you, Tom. I like a lot of the history stuff, which is like the History Channel TV stuff, the miniseries. Those are my documentaries. Movie, movie stuff. Yeah. I've never been a fan of history documentaries. The history documentaries. Sometimes they're dry. The only other one that yeah. I would want to bring up is uh, uh, They Shall Not Grow Old. Mm. The Peter Jackson, the Peter Jackson one. I bought it. I just haven't watched it. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Uh, I, World War One too, which World is War weird, One, which is a different focus nowadays. Yeah, and hearing the 
point of view of the people that you hear the snippets of interviews and stuff from and that since none of them are alive anymore it's an interesting thing to hear how different it is from people who talk about World War II. I'd almost say it's a time capsule of that of that period. It is. And the biggest takeaway that I got from that was the fact that they said if you had joined in 1917 and uh, gone been out and come back two years later and went back to the war, you'd go, I have no idea what war this is. This can't be the same war that I saw that I fought in before. Oh yeah. Because just was, because of how drastically changed in such a short amount of time. It was, it was a change from the Napoleonic stuff, the grand armies, one big charge clash, go home to the meat grinder that world war two eventually became that. And the it's fact such that a transition, just the getting from one, the back lines to the trenches, there was an area that people would walk on that was, maybe about a two foot wide gap or so, maybe a little bit wider that if you straight off course, if you went into it, there was nothing they could do to save you. You sank in and died. It was one of the big ones that had no man's lands. Yeah. And that was before you even got it. It was before you even got two trenches. Yeah, it was it was it was, the start, it was the start of of the no man lands. It wasn't. No, this was behind the lines be going from your side to your front. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Trying to get supplies there. If you walked off the little wooden walkways that they created, you, sunk. you literally sunk in and died. So after that, anyone else want to talk about anything? I have a bunch. I'm just going to like, here's a bunch of names. Uh, one, I mentioned Life Animated. If you haven't seen it, really damn good. Uh, Waltz with Bashir is a really well done animated documentary that you don't realize is a documentary until the last two minutes where they reveal this is all real. And that is just heartbreaking when you realize that it's a documentary. Uh, 20 Feet from Stardom was a really cool one about extras on movie sets. Oh, we love extras. That was really cool. I like that one. Uh, Faces Places was a cool one that was nominated for Oscars this past year. I mentioned Russian Five. There's a movie called Lo and Behold by Werner Herzog. Skip it. Bye. Just skip the movie. It is like the most boring, dry movie about how technology is affecting us. It, it has an interesting trailer. It was made by an AI, don't you know? <laughs> I would explain Werner Herzog. But <laughs> then there's the movie Grizzly Man, which I was... Oh, no, about, I remember that I one. I was thinking about mentioning when you were talking about Blackfish, because mm-hmm. it's a dude living with grizzly bears that ends up getting mauled by that, the grizzly bears. Oh, poor, that poor dog. Yeah. Spoilers, Devin, spoilers. If you know anything about Grizzly Man, <laughs> the dude dies. That's, that's the only reason this documentary He is so. such a dumbass. But it's a really well-done documentary. It's just, you know the dude's gonna die. You know bears are actually cool. docile creatures. Um, <laughs> I've mentioned Air Guitar Nation both today and when we did our musical, because it is a musical documentary. But that's just a lot of fun. Um, Jesus kind of terrified me. This film is not yet rated about the ratings board and how kind of convoluted their thing is. You can have a guy massacre kindergarten class, but if you don't show any blood, it's PG-13. And then one one guy gets shot in the chest and there's blood and it's rated R. It's like, okay. You show one boob, you get you get rated X. You yeah. can have one yeah. you can have one F bomb though. Yeah. Yeah, every PG thirteen movie gets one F bomb. That's the rules. One one that cannot be in a sexual manner. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because maybe two if you're James Cameron. Oh. You can have nudity if you're James Cameron too, because you're James Cameron. But then the movie um, so, Generation Kill, I believe it was, oh, has like forty f bombs, and it got PG thirteen because that's just the way soldiers talk. Yep. All right, that's a 
That's a weird little change there. Yeah, that was a uh, movie called shot. Wordplay that's all about crosswords and competitive crosswords, which was really cool. Uh, King of Kong, which is about the guy that beat the Donkey Kong record. Oh, that, that one. one. I remember that, that was so one. much fun. I love it was also movie. kind of stupid when yeah. you think about it. Helvetica, which is literally a documentary about the font. I was just saying, did you mean the font? It is a movie about how the font Helvetica changed the world. How, how did it change the world? No, 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 no. It became like the font to go to for signs. And like oh. it was standardized every, for a long time. It's, it was the standardized thing that just everybody used. Interesting. And it it's a really fascinating little thing. And it got replaced with Comic Sans. No. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, there's another one called Dust, which is literally a, a whole documentary about dust and how it's a problem. Oh, I thought it was about the magical powder stuff. No, it's about dust and how it is going to kill electronics. <laughs> I'm like, that's such a weird documentary. I have to watch it. It was fun. It wasn't anything amazing. Mentioned Religious, mentioned The Cove. Food Inc. is another one that I could have mentioned, but meh. Uh, Unhung Hero. I mentioned it before the podcast. Oh, I'm not going to say much about that. Uh, that sounds funny. If you're that tiny, you shouldn't make a documentary about it. <laughs> you know, the movie. He owned yeah. it. Yeah. Winnebago Man about the dude that sells Winnebago's. Clean flicks, very similar to film. This film is not your rated. Being Elmo, about the dude who plays Elmo. Uh, Want you be my neighbor? One that I was going to mention that was like the big one was Jiro Dreams of Sushi, and that's. Mm. I think I'm gonna end with Jiro Dreams of Sushi and Soul, which is kind of the follow up to it. But Jiro Ono, who is the single greatest sushi chef ever, and he, his entire thing is in a. In like a subway station, mm-hmm. but it is yeah. sold out for the next two years. What? Yeah. yeah, he has reservations for two years ahead. I'm not sure if Jiro is still alive or if he's know. passed it on to his son. But um, he is the single greatest sushi chef of all time. Yep. And it's like two hundred dollars for specially cured and designed. Sushi from one dude. That is insane. It is an absolutely phenomenal documentary. And yeah, uh, I'll mention Michael Moore because I've met him and he's a cool dude. He gets a bad rap, but he's a really cool dude. And his documentaries, yeah, they have, they're one of those that has a point. Yeah, and I think, I don't have anything against the guy. I just think the way he's marketing and does that sort of stuff is stupid. Yeah. But Michael Moore, I just think, is a, a really cool dude. He he has his goal. He's going to get to his goal. Yeah. I can at least respect that. Yeah. And finally, uh, John and Jane Toll Free. If you ever have to sit through that movie, just walk out of the room. That is the most boring two-hour documentary I've ever had to watch about Indian call centers. Oh. Yep. Very okay. specific. Yeah. Oh. Not sure who picked that one. Wasn't me. All right, then. How about we go on to a happier subject? Jenny, save us. All right. I got you guys. So uh, two weeks ago, um, I was given a movie to watch by James, which was Blast from the Past. And I loved it. I'm glad. I was kind of like apprehensive going into it like you know what is this going to be you know about like how is it going to you know work into modern society and I would love to see this room, this movie as a remake. 
just because of how far we've come since it came out with technology. And I would love to see it, you know, if they, you know, went back into the um, capsule, into the bomb shelter, the fallout shelter and come back again, it would be even funnier. So this movie was, um, what's his name? Brennan Fraser? Brennan Fraser. Brennan Fraser. Brennan Fraser. Um, it was his two parents back in, um, the, you know, Cold War times where they thought, you know, everyone was going to be nuked. And it was so funny um, watching a young Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. I am so bad. Watching a young Christopher Walken be this dad who's really eccentric. Is Christopher Walken just great at being eccentric in general? Oh, he fit the part. He fit he the part beautifully. I believed one hundred percent that that character would do yes. what he did. So it was so funny because the you know there was this airplane above their house and they had turned on the news. JFK was talking about. The missiles and things yeah, happening, missile the human missile crisis, yeah. and like, oh, we have to go down to the bomb shelter, blah, blah, blah. And as soon as they go down there, like the second they even like shut the door, the plane that had malfunctioned above their house lands on their house. Um, and they start thinking, oh, no, it's happened. End times. The nuclear bomb went off. We have to remain down here for 35 years because apparently that's the half life. That's the half life of the radiation. So, but the thing is, the wife was pregnant, um, like fully pregnant, nine months, about to pop out this baby. So he, the only weird thing about this movie was the fact that it, this bomb shelter was so large and he seemed to have literally everything ready. Like the wife was able to deliver the baby, no problem. They had baby clothes, they had food, they had, I'm assuming, you know, formula and bottles and yada, yada, yada. He's he's an old school doomsday prepper. He, yeah. was, he was the first gen. So he was really doomsday prepping. So the, you know, the movie goes on and the kid grows up and you know they've got um this uh fish tank down there with fish that they're you know keeping and eating and they're growing their own vegetables and they have canned food and it just kind of like goes to like set up the whole movie so 35 years later um the door the lock on the door is like unlocks and they're like oh no it's been 35 years we have to go see if it's okay so on the surface, this entire time, um, their house had been bulldozed because it was assumed that everyone died when the plane crashed or they were gone or they, you know, whatever. So their house was bulldozed and this cute little diner was built on top of it. And I love this entire progression of this diner. Oh, that's right. So this cute little diner with this, like this mom and her son. And she's like, so happy to have this little like malt shop type deal. And she's like, Oh, I love all these customers coming in here. So cool. And the kids like, thanks for giving me this job, mom. And then over the years, it slowly evolves into like this bar. And they just keep getting like fed up with the customers they are getting in there. Like types of customers. It keeps going to like, you know, like the bar people, hoodlums. It's, into a biker bar and the mom's like you can have this place I'm done with it you know and the son is you know a lot older very eccentric and he's like fine I'll buy it from you and he just does nothing with it so by the time the 35 years has passed it's just this abandoned building um, in this downtown area where just you know not a whole lot of things happen besides like drug deals and prostitutes being picked up on the side of the street so um, adult bookstores adult books the adult bookstore <laughs> Oh, yes. So they they um, the dad decides I'm going to go up there. I'll see what's like. He's dressed in full hazmat suit. And oh, yeah. He goes into the elevator 
And while this guy is sitting in the bar that he owned, just kind of like shooting the shit with his friend and talking about what they're going to do with it, even though it's like covering graffiti and newspapers and boarded up and no one goes in there. And then the floor opens up and here comes the dad in this hazmat suit. And they're like, what just happened? What is this? And the dad's kind of like, where's my house? Where's my backyard? So then he goes out the door the entire time. The guy from the bar thinking it's the second coming of Jesus. And he's like, who are you? And the, the guy's like, I'm the father. And he goes, the father. Oh, that's right. There's a whole subplot with that. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Okay, so the father goes outside and he sees like this prostitute who was transgender or like both or whatever, just doing their own thing, androgynous. And he perceives it as like a mutant person that can change their gender at will. <laughs> and then he sees someone throw up on the sidewalk from um, being, so being so drunk. And thinks it's the radiation. He, he thinks it's the radiation. He goes into <laughs> the next door to this bar where his house was, was this adult bookstore. And he's like, what is this? So he goes in there and he immediately runs out saying that it was a terrible place because he's from, you know, the his 50s. era, the 50s. This was not a thing. And he goes back down there and he tells them, we can't go up there. We can, No, we can't do it. It's too dangerous. And then he falls ill. He has like a heart attack or something. And the mom is like, you need to go get his supplies. Like we're running really low. We really need supplies. And I have to stay with your father. So Brendan Fraser's character gets to go up to the surface. Oh boy! And it Who was. Who are you, the sun? I am the sun. <gasps> the sun. <laughs> and slowly but surely, like so, he goes up and he leaves. And the people from the bar, he starts getting like this little cult following, <laughs> talking about the elevator, like the door and the floor. And while Brendan Fraser's character is gone, um, getting supplies and stuff, the mom is like, you know, I want to see what it's like up there. So she's got like her robe on and she's like not really like fancy at all. And she goes and she goes up the elevator, comes out. There's all these people staring at her and they go, who are you? She goes, I'm the mother. They're like the mother. And this plot was just hilarious. Yeah, I enjoyed every second of that. I forgot about that subplot, but yeah, it's absolutely hilarious. It was so good. So the entire rest of the time, um, the son is trying to go and find supplies. He has no idea where he is. And all his mom told him was, here's some money. Here's what we need. If you can't come back tonight, find the Holiday Inn. Oh, wow. So apparently Holiday Inn's real old. And so he goes on this journey and he's this boy who never grew up in the in the actual world. He was in this fallout shelter his entire life. Grew up on reruns of I Love Lucy. Right. So maybe. Yeah. So he was just this like 50s kid that just never got to experience being social whatsoever. Um, so him going out into the world, absolutely hilarious, absolutely hilarious. Um, and he ends up meeting this girl, Alicia Silverstone. Um, yep. Who, uh, ends up, you know, going with him on this journey. She's like, you know, he's a real weird egg, but I'll help him out, whatever. And he doesn't tell anybody he's from a fallout shelter. He just, you know, his parents are like, just say you're from out of town. It, wasn't Alaska what it eventually ended up? I at? think he said like Alaska. That's what, well, that's yeah. where she she's no, uh, that's where she says say you're because, from. Yeah, oh no, that's where she thinks that he's from because he goes, oh yeah, she's psychic. 
and she reads him and he goes yeah uh and she she goes oh you're from this place in alaska where and she he just goes yeah you're right mm-hmm. because he's like in love with her and she was touching his hand and he's just like you're not a mutant and you're from pasadena that's right yeah those are like the requirements his mom had was find find yourself a nice woman hopefully nice, from pasadena who's nice not a mutant one yeah yeah it's basically nominee. it's fallout without the actual fallout yeah, yeah. For, the, for anyone who's played that game series so it was so funny um and i just i really enjoyed this movie um, the the woman character was a bit annoying. Um, she's kind of meant to be. Yeah, she was meant to be, but um, just the actress. I haven't seen her in a whole lot of stuff, so it was kind of like, and I don't know. I don't know how to get. She's a bit for before you. your time. Yeah, she, yeah. She's she also is. she's that's kind of that's a lot of her her shtick and blast from the past mm-hmm. is very similar to a lot of the other characters she's played, if I remember correctly. Clueless. Yeah. yeah. So they end up eventually, you know, they fall in love and yada yada yada, and he eventually. Uh, tells her, hey, I'm from this fallout shelter. And then there was this twist I didn't expect. She calls the freaking um, psychiatrist ward on him and says, hey, this guy needs to be committed because he's obviously crazy. I was like, oh, no, why would you do that? He's so nice. <laughs> so then he ends up he ends up going, getting the supplies they collected, going to the fallout shelter. And she ends up, you know, like, uh, he's really nice. I guess I'll go be with him. Yeah, she uses her friend Dave Foley from uh, News Radio mm. to help catch, uh, track him down because earlier in the day they had made a stop at an adult bookstore yes. that he recognized and is like, oh, I found home. I got to come back here. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So then, you know, she ends up going down to the fallout shelter, meeting his parents, and she's like, oh man, he was telling the truth the entire time. And the entire time of this movie, his dad, for his one of his birthdays, had given him stocks that they thought were useless because Wall Street obviously collapsed in the nuclear fallout. And the world burned. And the world burned. So why would they be of any value? So he takes them up there. They find the stocks in his hotel room he'd been staying at. And they're like, these are worth millions of dollars. Like, so much money. Nope. So... At the end of the movie, they're able to move out of the fallout shelter and build them this wonderful house um, in this nice area. And they have to tell the dad, like, hey, so here's what actually happened. Um, you dumbass for 35 years. So the dad's kind of like, eh, are you sure? Like, he's kind of like really weary about it the whole time. And the mom's just like, hallelujah, geez, we are above ground. Yes, thank you. Because she hated every minute down there. And I don't blame her. Meanwhile, by the end of the movie, you're not quite sure whether or not the father actually believes his son's story. Yeah. Or whether or not he thinks that it's just a giant conspiracy put on by the Ruskies. Yep. 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 And that's kind of Christopher Walken in a nutshell. So I got to ask, what was your favorite part of it? I love the entire subcult of the freaking people. That's a good one. Every time. And so, like, they had all these supplies. Like, they had, like, hundreds of pounds of chicken and, like, so much stuff that they had. And um, they were like, how are we going to move all this stuff? And they got the guys from the bar that thought they were the second coming of Jesus to help them because they're thought that they were, like, the best thing that ever happened to them. They were so, like, caught up in it. I love that whole bit. The son needs help. Let's not disappoint. Uh, my my favorite. My, if, I, if I'm going, I just seen my favorite one is the dance club scene. 
Yes, mm. that's a great one. Yes, the dance club scene where with the two ladies and the mm-hmm. yeah. There's some actually really smooth moves in that. That and the fact that we actually get to see Captain Hammer, Nathan Fillion, <gasps> make an appearance before Captain Hammer. Oh yes, I was so happy Nathan Fillion was in this movie too because he plays the exact same type of character that he does in Doctor Horrible's and Long Walk. Oh, uh, so the complete fantastic. total douchebag. So you enjoyed it then? I really enjoyed it. It was awesome. I'm happy. It was a great time. Okay, so as for this week with my topic, I thought I would drag you all back to your childhood, best experience of your lives, I'm sure, and give me your favorite movie that you love to watch. As a child, some of mine were like uh, The Sandlot, baseball movie, great time. I watched it over and over and over again. I did play softball, so I related to it a little bit more. Um, And then The NeverEnding Story. I always watched it. I watched it at least once a year, even though it terrified me. That big black dog thing is probably what turned me off of like dogs and wolves. But it was such a staple movie in my childhood, and I really enjoyed it. So, boys... What you got? Who wants to start? Not me. <laughs> I'm volunteering to go last. Screw it. I'll start. All right, Devin. Uh, I'll be honest. A lot of my childhood, I've just kind of blocked out. Okay. <laughs> so there are a lot of my movies from when I was a child, like either they're the Disney movies and I'm like, I'm not bothering mentioning those. You've probably seen most of the Disney movies. Love the Disney movies. The one I had to check with you earlier is Nightmare for Christmas, because that's the yeah. movie I watched when I was a kid. Yep. Uh, so I pushed forward a little bit to when I was about 12 or so. At least that's when it came out. I would have loved it even when I was younger. Uh, with Clockstoppers. Clockstoppers. Oh, what, I really? I have not I loved that when seen I was a kid. it. Oh, that's... That was a weird one for me. I loved I, that movie. I enjoyed it, but mm, loved it. So just this kind of just the just the word. I have no idea what this is about. Never heard of it. Um, I'm wondering if it's got kind of a similar thing to the movie In Time with Justin Timberlake, where you kind of have like your time on your arm, and that's like the currency. Or it could just be a movie about stopping time, moving around, future, past. I don't know. Well, it's very much the second one. Okay, very much the second one. Cool. Uh, a guy steals a... Yeah, it's a heist caper, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. Uh, a guy's um, played by Jesse Bradford. Ooh, 90s. Um, wow, that's an image. He steals his father's watch, uh-huh. not knowing that when he presses a button on the watch, it literally freezes time. Uh-huh. Or it accelerates his molecules to a certain level. Yeah, science, yeah. yeah. Flash. You know, yeah. So everything around him freezes. Uh-huh. And now he's walking around in a frozen world oh. and he can click the watch again and it reverts back or he can slow down time. Can't revert it, but he can freeze time. So Interesting. early 2000s hijinks ensues with him. And okay. Him and his friend trying to like getting in a car chase and freezing cars and being chased by other people that are freezing time. And it was just this really well done, fun yeah, I guess haste or haste heists yeah, it, paper type thing. Yeah, it, that's what that's why I remember it being very much of a, of a heist thing because people wanted to get that, that from the kid. Back, yeah, and ultimately he figures out that if you shoot someone with like dry ice, it reverts them back to normal time. So like it it slows down their molecules to a point where they're normal. Okay. And it's this weird. Yeah, don't think yeah. I can kind of science that out. Yeah. All right. Let, let's not. Let's not think too it's hard. It's kind of like 
early teen, mid or like tween type. Okay. Logic it's, science. It's in the same. It's in the movie. same uh, milieu or like the same kind of category. I'd place Big Fat Liar in. Yeah. Is this the one where they turn the guy blue? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Okay. I see. All Giamatti. Yeah. yeah. I enjoy that one. Yep. Okay. Uh, that one came fun. out about the same time. All right. Yeah. So we got clock stoppers. James, what do you got? Yeah. I'm not saying Big Fat Liar. I was gonna say. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. I enjoyed it. I liked Big Fat Liar. Frankie Muniz was actually kind of funny in it. Yeah. Amanda Bynes was. Normal and not, not horrible. Paul Giamatti was blue. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I had an interesting childhood. Uh-huh. You've probably seen this. I'd be a little surprised if we haven't. Uh Terminator 2, Judgment Day. I have seen that one, yeah. Because how many are there right now? Uh, five. Five? One, two, three. Yeah. Genesis. Shades coming out, Salvation, and then, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen one through three. It's five going on six. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. So I'm pretty sure I've then, seen one through three. So yes, I have seen those. Okay, then. Uh, the other one that I have, because I was fairly it's certain. A weird kids movie, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's a movie you loved as a kid, whatever it may be. Funny enough, I saw that one first. I couldn't, my parents didn't want me to go back and watch the, the first Terminator because I already knew that Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator was a good guy. So I'd be very curious and <laughs> yeah. confused yeah. as to why he was a bad guy. So okay. but right. think of, make of that what you will. So the second one, I've got is 1996 The Rock. The Rock? Sean Connery. Oh. And, I was thinking. Like, and Nicolas Cage. Like Dwayne Johnson. Nope. About Alcatraz. About Alcatraz? No, no. I forgot as I was saying the word. Well, I it's definitely I definitely didn't think it was gonna be that. I was gonna think I was thinking more like, you know, SpongeBob in that episode where he's like, they used to ride these babies for days and he's just riding a boulder. <laughs> Well, your first thought was about Dwayne Dwayne Johnson. That, so yeah, that. maybe about wrestling in '96. <laughs> hey, you know what? That's not that far out. Okay, so it's about what? What about Alcatraz? It is about <laughs> a group of military men who steal a viral agent mm-hmm. set up on Alcatraz. Okay. And basically threaten threaten the U.S. for essentially reparations for past misdeeds. That's definitely a weird kids movie, but all right, all right, you got it. I it was it was flashy. What, what it was Michael Bay. Bay. What is this rated? It was Michael Bay. So <laughs> PG thirteen. <gasps> okay, PG thirteen. I'm actually kind of amazed. It's PG thirteen because of the fact that I got to watch it as a kid. Oh, all mm. right. Yeah, but it. It stars Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage is... <laughs> it's not PG-13. <laughs> no, it's R. Yeah, it's R. Oh, is it R? Oh, is yeah. it R? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Been R so far. Wow. It is... Oh, wait, Clockstoppers is also no, R? No, both of his are R. Oh, I was like, wait. Both of mine are R. No, Clockstoppers is PG-13. Oh, no, yeah, it's... The yeah. most. <laughs> no, trust me, she, she hasn't seen this one, but my third one was going to be uh, Demolition Man. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Again, I had a different childhood than other people, <laughs> but it's yeah, it star uh, stars Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage is a FBI agent. I want to say. I don't remember the. Rock. He he deals with. Uh, What's the name of the movie? The, the Rock. Rock. Oh no! Uh, never mind. That was. He deals. Uh, his his He's character's FBI. name is Stanley Goodman. Deals with. Good uh, speed. Once, yeah, good speed. Godspeed. Stanley Goodspeed deals with basically viral. He, he's yeah. a chem, he's the chem guy. 
and he's part of the group that goes in with Sean Connery's character, who was an ex, who was an ex inmate of Alcatraz and managed to escape. Mm. So they need his help to get back in because they've set up on on Alcatraz to threaten the U.S. for misdeeds in the past. Okay. It's again, it's Michael Bay, so it's an action thriller with all right <laughs> with a lot of booms and whatnots. Military people used. Okay. It's well, Oscar done. nominated for sound. Okay. Plus that one got it. So does that mean that I'm up now? Yeah. Crap. Okay. Well then, first nominee for me to go up with um, is from 1991. Uh, Hook. Oh, I love Hook! Wow. <laughs> Dante Bosco. Zuko. That, that, that's the one Steven with... Um, Spielberg. Isn't yep. it Robin Williams? Yes, Robin it is. Yes, yes. I have seen yeah. that one. It's a good one, too. It's fantastic, yes. Okay. Um, People give too much flack. Mrs. Doubtfire. Okay, yeah, we see Mrs. That's that's. He just going with Robin Williams movies. No, I'm just trying to think of movies that I've watched a million times from when I was a kid. Aladdin. Wait. <laughs> okay, so that's Will Smith. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I've seen Robin Hood Men in Tights. <sighs> I don't know if I've seen really Prince, Prince of, of Thieves. I grew up watching it. It's the same story. Really. Huh? But not comedy. Yeah, that's the one with Rickman, isn't it? It's one with Alan Rickman. Kevin Costner. Taron Egerton? No. No. Uh, Russell Crowe? No. Oh, no. No, no, no. No, I'm, look, I'm looking at the pictures and I have not seen this one. Yep. It also has Morgan Freeman in it. Oh? Sean Connery. For a moment. You've got two. So you got two Sean Connery's. But no, yeah, that was that is the one, like you said, with Alan Rickman. He, if I remember correctly, he's one of the treats of that one. Yes. Yes, he is. It also has a very young Christian Slater in it. Mm. Playing Will Scarlet. Really? Oh, that's hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a more serious look, I guess, of the story of Robin Hood. Okay, I've from seen from the nineties. I've seen the Disney's Robin Hood that was made in the forties. You talk about the Fox people, right? The Fox people, yeah. Okay, like okay. the animals. I've seen that one. I've seen Robin Hood Men in Tights. The start of the first. Yep. Community. This one is. This one is so good. Okay. Um, <laughs> in okay. comparison to all the other ones that I've seen. So I've got the same story Clock Stoppers with Freezing Time, Heisty Thing, The Rock with Alcatraz and some kind of viral agent threatening America, and then Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which speaks for itself. <sighs> These are very different choices. You've got varied choices. These are very different choices. Um, It's either that or I I suggest to you Office Space or Clerks, one of the two. I haven't seen either of those. (laughs) Clerks? Clerks is not a kid's movie or childhood movie, man. No, but what about kids? Okay, so... That's a messed up movie, too. Or Sister Act. Sister Act I've seen. Okay. What about two? We don't talk about two. Back in the house. Two is better. So, I'm thinking, just because... I feel like I should complete the set. I'm going to go with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to just expand cool. my Robin Hood knowledge. Cool, cool. With so. the exact same story. <laughs> well, so it'll be a different kind of story because I've seen, you know, Disney fluffing it up. I've seen 
men in tights just being stupid. <laughs> and Prancing I'll it see, up. Yeah, so now I'll see like a more like true telling of the story. Well, again, you got oh, Alan true, but it's the, definitely yeah. the more adult version. The more and, adult. Again, you got Alan Rickman in there. He's a yeah. treat. Yes, he oh, is. Yes. All right. So, okay. fantastic suggestions, y'all. So, what we got coming out uh, this week? This week, we have Annabelle. I'm going to just make up the second half. I think it's Comes Home. Homecoming. Yeah, home, home. I think it's Comes I'm Home. I'm pretty sure it's Annabelle home. Comes no, Home. I think you're right. It's yeah. Annabelle Comes Home, yeah. It's Annabelle Does Something, even though she's an inanimate object. Mm. It's Jigsaw. It's another series. Wait. Pretty much. Uh, I'm not. Why are there still yeah, movies about the stupid doll? Yeah. It was one Did story. You mean Chucky? No, no, all no, the dolls. Charles. Sorry, Charles. Yeah, that one. Charles. That one's actually coming up from the actual makers of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Annabelle comes out uh, Wednesday. <laughs> Yesterday comes out Friday, which is about the Beatles. Yeah, the guy who wakes up in like an alternate dimension and the Beatles have never, never existed. existed. Yeah. And he rem- and he remembers and knows how to play all their songs. So he plays their songs and then has like crisis of wait, do I take credit for the Beatles? Right. You know what? I'm I'm actually kind of like that's the best way to do something like that, I think. It's right? a very interesting fun. premise for sure. I kind of feel bad for it because it's going to get overshadowed by Avengers re-releasing. Let's okay. So Avengers is re-releasing with twenty minutes of extra bonus footage as well as a ten-minute after-credit scene just to try and beat Avatar out of the box office. And no movie theater employees thrilled about it. And to be fair, it. they're doing the exact same thing Avatar did. <laughs> yeah, Avatar did the same thing. Like it's box six office. months after their release, they yeah. re-released it. And yeah. Everyone just kind of forgot about that. Yeah, it's box office is between two different releases, yeah. so probably at least a good what five hundred, five hundred. It was two point three billion. Now it's two point seven eight billion. So. Yeah, a good half a million of that is from that second release. Titanic did the same thing. Uh, I don't remember if Titanic did or not. No, I, I remember there being a second release of t- a second go around. I think Titanic. it came out a couple weeks. Couple. Like a year later, kind of thing, because it was in theaters forever. Yeah, but I, I do remember it having a second go around in theaters, which is like that's cheating. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I don't know. I'll probably go see Avengers. Maybe if I have a four-hour block free, <laughs> I'm probably gonna catch that leading up to Spider-Man: Far From Home that Spider-Man. comes out next year. Yeah, or next year. Wow. We next, next week. week. Next year. Yeah. Is that yeah. 2018? Along with Midsommar, or Midsummer, uh, the next Ari Aster movie who made Hereditary. So, looking forward to that, but it's going to get absolutely drowned out. Oh, it's screwed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Terrible weekend for that to come out. But for sure. Yeah, that's what's coming out this week. All right. I might catch yesterday by, by the next time we record one of these. Maybe. I'm, I'm actually kind of curious on that, like I said. Maybe I'll watch it. I don't know if it's something I go to the theater for, but definitely if it comes out on Netflix and I'm chilling at home, like, yeah, I'll, I'll give that a go. Yeah, so, you know, the, the background. next yeah. Free tickets, so why not? Right. Because movie theaters are loud. Yeah. yeah I'm but, also going to have a list of movies that I'm. The list for my film festival that I go to every week is released next, next week, so I might have, like, oh, these ones I'm looking forward to, but. I will ultimately deal with those in August 
and we'll have a breakdown of the movies that I'm seeing at the film festival. Oh yeah, when I we're definitely gonna be doing that. Yeah, I, I think we should definitely have a special episode for that. Special episode just for you, Devin. Oh yeah. Yes. I get to talk about all the movies that were either amazing or John and Jane Tolfrey. <laughs> well, I think we should have two episodes for it. One before you go, and then once yeah, then like this back. is what I. Yeah, well, I could. We could do the the whole like Jen Ed thing or Jenny Ed thing. Love like, what do you think? Lo and behold, is about. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know what? I wouldn't like. That'd be kind of funny with that. That'd be some of those. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, infinite, infinitely polar bears about. Is that a real movie, Nick? Yep. <laughs> I think it's going to be about somebody who does polar bear run, the, the polar bear stuff. Devin, I'm not going to lie. I almost want to have her do that and then have me and Tom try to guess. <laughs> so I'll do that. I won't tell any of you what the movies I'm going to be seeing are about. But Infinitely Polar Bear is about a guy that's grown out of autism but is still crippled by not being able to talk to people. That is not where I thought that was going. I know. Well, it stars Mark Ruffalo, who's amazing in the What? Yep. Wow. The movie was just, well, yeah, he does a lot of, he does a lot of the independent stuff. It's actually really, really well done. He was amazing in it. But yeah. So that's this week. Uh we'll be back next week. Um we might have some extra stuff next week for you. So anyway, I'm Devin. I'm James. I'm Jenny. And I'm Tom. And this has been In the Can Podcast. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.